Welcome to Our Soul, a podcast by Kelly Fox and Terry Williams from the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Our Soul. Um, I'm Kelly, and Terry is here with us, and we have a special guest. Terry, would you like to introduce them? Absolutely. Joining us today is Gabby Garcia Vera from Catholics for Choice. Gabby, I always, always, always get your many, many titles wrong because I just assume that you do all things at Catholics for Choice. And this is actually not true. You have a very uh, large and fantastic team that works with you. Give us your elevator speech. Who are you? What do you do? So uh, my name is Gabby Garcia Vera. My pronouns are anything as long as it's said respectfully. I am the Domestic States Programs Manager at Catholics for Choice. I actually work as part of the domestic team which handles all of our US work. Um, And Catholics for Choice is an organization that has been around for over 45 years working to organize and mobilize lay people in the Catholic Church in pursuit of church reform for the common Catholic good. I think we talk about Catholic social justice and what that means as a core set of values. And I think people like to say social justice because it feels like a hot, you know, like a buzzword nowadays. But the truth of the matter is we organize everyday Catholics, much like myself and many of our staff members, to hold the moral sort of high ground about what it means to be in relationship to God, to our conscience, and how we use that God-given conscience to also like shift and change the church that we live in, that we attend, that we build community in. Um, Because I think what we know about the church is that the leadership is in pretty like disproportionate, like malalignment with the flock. Malalignment. I, I I like that phrase. Malalignment with the flock. That there is this kind of out of kilter sense. Um, I, I know for us here in the Central Ohio region, we are experiencing, um, you know, some of the effects of that malalignment. I, I know we were talking just very briefly before. Um, we started recording here about the January 22nd action that was taken by a few activists in Columbus at St. Joseph's Cathedral, um, particularly focused on issues of reproductive freedom and justice. Um, And I think those issues obviously are critically important to us. And when we look at the malalignment, so to speak, between um, you know the Catholic hierarchy, the Catholic institution, and Catholic people, that's really the largest, most glaring example. You know, um, positions on birth control, contraception, positions on abortion, positions on the church's role in um, you know advocating on these issues. Uh, it's really pretty profound. So I, I think, you know, today I'm I'm really interested, Gabby, to know, um, you know, how you see the church's role um, and, you know, how you've kind of bounced up against that. It, you know, obviously Catholics for Choice taking a, a theological position that isn't necessarily the center of the institution, but much more the center of the people. How have you found that? to be your interaction with the the wider church and with the institution in particular. And I would actually argue that the people are the center of the institution. Hmm. Right. I think, I think oftentimes, um, and, and I think this is common in a lot of different faiths, right. But I experience it most from the lens of what I know best, which you know, is Catholicism, right? This idea that like somehow people are, you know, we we dole out whether people are enough of whatever the thing is, right? Like, are you a Christmas Easter Catholic? Are you like, 
you know, are you an everyday Catholic? Are you like an every Sunday kind of person? Um, and I think we bestow upon to those people, you know, our own predisposition about what we think their relationship to God is. Um, yeah, and, and quite simply, right, it, it comes down to that, I think, sometimes. And what I what I think is really interesting is like this disconnect from church leadership, this fixation and fascination with like reproductive like oppression and control in particular over women, but like in very clear and divisive ways that like sprawls out into like LGBTQ um, areas, right? Like oftentimes the juxtaposition, and this is an old strategy from, you know, uh, the marriage equality fights, and right i think people used to like try and try the old trope like oh well if you do reproductive health rights and justice work then you must not be like lgbtq and i, I think everyone was like wait what we we're like that doesn't make sense because actually like when you look at like the reproductive health rights and justice movement like we are like we are bold and beautiful and queer and trans and every color that you know in between of of the rainbow or the you know the the flags that represent us and i think um but it's a trope that gets pulled out a lot and uh and i think it's you know it's one that happens out of scarcity right it says like if you other someone else you then gain access to the thing we said that you couldn't have. You gain favor, you know, by pushing people further out, mm. which, I mean, I don't know about other people, but like the Jesus that I knew growing up, like hung out with the poorest of the poor people, like, you know, was flipping bank tables and mm -hmm. talk, you know, and like, and cared about public health as, you know, washing people's feet as an act of service, mm -hmm. but also, like, in this moment, I think such a profound sort of understanding, like, the juxtaposition between that and now, right? Like, someone refusing to wear a mask and someone looking at someone and says, let me wash your feet for you have walked mm -hmm. the streets that I have without no shoes, right? Like, what is that? what does that look like? And, you know... And, and this fixation on this fixation on abortion, right? This fixation on controlling women's bodies without allowing women space at the table to have a vote, to have an opinion, to hold leadership positions, like that, you know, that just doesn't work anymore. And, um, and I hear from a lot of people that tell me, well, you know, you're never gonna change the church. And I get it, right? Like, organization, this, like, the Catholic Church as an institution has been around for hundreds of years, mm -hmm. right? And you don't get to be that old without, one, having your own set of secrets, but I think, two, without building a foundation to, like, hold on to the power that you have amassed. And... I think the way that we really have to think about it is I, I ask people all the time, I say, you know, and it's sort of like, it sort of is just really to like shake them a little out of like the way that they're thinking. Cause I think far too often we think that if change doesn't happen in this very finite box, then it's not, it doesn't happen or it's not worthwhile. I tell people, I'm like, do you believe the Catholic church to be an institution that like believes in warmongering? And they're like, what do you mean? No. And I was like, cool, can you sit with me and talk to me about the Crusades? And people are like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, or I say, I say, did you know that in the late 60s, early 70s, the Catholic Church, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops disavowed racism in this country? I was like, I don't know about you, but if timing serves me correctly, and you know we're in we're in a pandemic, so time is no longer real. Um, <laughs> but so it may have been yesterday, <laughs> um, but it wasn't. And uh, you know disavowed racism in this country, and I say cool. So they were a little late on the game. And so don't sit here and tell me that these things that we hold so close, you know, to the chest 
cannot be things that we have clear conversations on because we know from talking to theologians, we know from talking to scripture, we know from talking to people, everyday Catholic people, right? Like the thing that connects them is their conscience. And so like to deny that, you know, for the premise of maybe like giving lip service to like 300 odd, you know, bishops or however many members are part of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops who have a very narrow view of who they think Catholics should be, how we should live, who we should love, and what we should do with our bodies seems like wildly in like malalignment with what we're taught to believe. Mm -hmm. The idea of like Catholic social justice teaching is to challenge the idea of what we know to better ourselves, to be more in alignment with God. <laughs> mm-hmm. I definitely, uh, when you when you were talking about scarcity, and or uh, I've always learned to uh, adapt an abundance mindset. You know, this idea that there can be like uh, there, you shouldn't put others down to bring yourself up because like that that is living in a scarcity mindset everyone can be brought up without (laughs) without having to put other people down um uh, yeah i just really appreciate that that um conversation about scarcity versus abundance mindset and i think like um i've been doing a lot of work around restorative justice actually uh by the time that this podcast goes out uh there will be an announcement about a restorative justice pod or not podcast. Whew, nope. <laughs> um, a restorative justice book club that I'm going to be doing every month um, to talk about the, the idea of pursuing a um, model of justice that uh, is not based off of a scarcity mindset, but rather off of an abundance mindset and the idea that we can restore community and build each other up and still have accountability and justice and stuff like that. Um, I, we also specifically wanted to talk to you, um, because of the, the, the protests, um, that were, were happening last month. What is your perspective on those protests? Um, well, and, and just, um, before you give us your, your overview, Gabby, just to clue some of our listeners in, um, who may not have been paying attention to, um, all this news, there was a, a protest on the 22nd of January, um, during a respect to life mass is, is how they, they term it, but it was an anti-abortion mass, um, happening at St. Joseph's Cathedral, the Cathedral Church for the Columbus, uh, Diocese here in, in central Ohio. And there were, uh, somewhere more than six, but less than 12 people. I'm, I'm not even quite sure how many exactly, um, came in with signs and chants and disrupted the mass at uh, the end of uh, Bishop Brennan's homily. And they did so because there were so many individuals in that particular gathering, that 200-person um, attendance, who were responsible for clinic harassment at the clinics that many of these protesters volunteer at on a regular basis. So the folk who had been outside yelling at people trying to get their health care at these clinics, you know, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, on Friday, uh, members from clinics came and followed them to church and came on up inside their church for, you know, four or five minutes. And it really caused a, a big hullabaloo in, in our region. So all of that is context um, Gabby Garcia Vera, you, as, as a Catholic layperson, as, you know, a representative from Catholics for Choice, as, um, you know, a, a really cool voice in, in this work, in this movement, what are your thoughts? So I think, I think that mass is a sacred place, right? And I think like, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this in the way that it deserves to be talked about this is not black and white it is complicated like feelings get caught up because it is personal and it feels super sacred to people so like before we move forward let me just say that this part of the conversation may be uncomfortable Hmm. and what i hope that folks walk away from is 
some self-reflection onto which maybe to hold that experience that allows us to dig a little deeper, to find the sort of the meaning, the understanding, the the resolve to like hold something with somebody that feels uncomfortable. Because um, honestly, I think we don't we don't do enough of that. Um, you know, mass and and these are these are all my personal opinions. I will say that at least the, the, the section in particular, I think I believe mass to be a place that is very sacred. Um, a lot of that is because for me, my faith is very tied to ritual. There is like a very matter of fact way that I engage when I am at church that makes me feel very connected whether I share political like ideology with the people around me or not, right? Like there is something about the movement, the the canter, the homily, right? Like how we show up in those spaces and do similar things just collectively, even if we're not doing them at the same time, or even if we're not doing them in sync, that for me is very transcendent in relationship to my own connection to Catholicism and why, you know, I'm a, still a practicing Catholic, um, so don't ask our opposition because they find all types of wild things to say. <laughs> um, I think the other thing is I have to balance the, the sacredness of a space and the understanding that just because a, a space is deemed sacred, like who, who gets access to that space matters. Right. It's not just it's not just simply about equity. It's about justice. Right. Like how that space creates a broader, wider container for the people around it also matters in the implication of how we hold our faith accountable, because it isn't it's not enough to have blind faith. And though faith is powerful and I believe it can move mountains. Right. It is not enough to just simply show up and take verbatim every single word that comes out of someone else's mouth because they are a leader. Our moral obligation to our faith is the betterment of our community. And that doesn't just stop at the church doors. It doesn't just stop at the last pew. You know, I like to, you know, I am, I am someone who you know, I am very fortunate. I have lived what I consider to be a very blessed life. But I think in retrospective, I want to like pull people back into a container, right? We're talking about a small set of protests. But in, in December of 1989, ACT UP uh, launched a campaign called Stop the Church. Um, and ACT UP was the AIDS coalition to unleash power um, that disrupted mass by saying Cardinal John O'Connor at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, 111 protesters were arrested, 53 of whom were arrested inside the church. The main objective of the demonstration was to protest O'Connor's opposition to the teaching of safe sex in the public school system and his opposition to the distribution of condoms to curb the spread of AIDS. During planning, the protest was joined by Women's Health Action and Mobilization, WAM, uh, who opposed the Catholic, uh, the, Catholic, the Catholic hierarchy's position predominantly around abortion rights. I can guarantee you that there were many people at that protest who were Catholic. I can guarantee you that those people had every right to be there. When we absolve ourselves of the violence that is perpetuated by a system, by a structure, by a person, by simply being silent about it, we are just as complicit in that violence. And I would like to say that, you know, that some of the bishops are like, you know, silently complicit, but truth be told, you know, they've got megaphones and they know how to use them. Um, and I, and I question 
I question how sometimes in the same service they can go from talking about how we are how we are a community, how we love each other, how we show up, how we build with one another, and then encourage people to do something like hinder someone from getting healthcare, right? Like because clinic protesters, they're not just they're not just like some, they're not like, you know, little gnats flying around, right? People are seeking healthcare. People are coming to clinics in our communities, making a decision for themselves about their bodies in their own good conscience with like, with whoever the people is that they deem the right people to share that decision with. And that is the right decision for that person. And it is not our place to neither demonize or cause people to feel unsafe. You know, I, I, I think to myself, I like, I'd be showing up sometimes at like NC clinic protesters and I'm like, yo, if my grandma was coming into this clinic and someone was acting this way, I, I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how to fight, but I sure do know crazy. Um, <laughs> and, um, and let me catch the spirit, you know, and I have also, and in that same vein, I, you know, everyone's own lived experience is different, right? And I have also sat outside of clinics with people and pulled out my own rosary from my pocket and said, may I pray with you? And in those moments, you know, some more colorful than others, of course. Um, but I think in those moments, what I hope that people see is that, like, we are connected, you know, for me, ultimately, the conversation becomes, do we believe that our conscience connects us to God? If so, then the answer is simple. Then the decision that we make with our conscience and for ourselves is the decision that God bestows upon to us through divine connection. And, you know, moving away from this idea that things have to be so black and white, like, I am... I'm a queer, Puerto Rican, HIV positive, like Catholic, working, doing healthcare work around access to abortion. You know, by all means, I should maybe blow up like when I walk into the church, according to some people. Um, but, you know, I'd be out in these streets really hot. <laughs> and, and I like, and it's not that easy, right? Like, it's also just not that easy to separate ourselves. Like, the I, I think the divine intricacy of our lives is to really, we, we begin with all these scattered pieces and the work of our life is really to pull them together, tether them to ourselves and build the person we're supposed to be. And when we like, when we give so much lip service, I think, to the rhetoric, to, you know, you're a good person if you're this, you're a bad person if you're that, you know, like, that's a very narrow definition. And I, I like, and I feel for the people because when I ask, when, when I tell people where I work, the number one thing they tell me is they tell me about heartache. They tell me about a time that they feel like they were tossed aside by the church. They tell me about times in which they showed up as their full selves beautiful and bold and unapologetic and were turned away. And that to me feels like such a disservice to the thing that we teach people. Absolutely. And, you know, Gabby, I really appreciate your, your way of framing sacred space and unsafe space that's created, um, you know, often by the, by the same people, by the same hearts, by the same hands. Um, you know, when we think about what happens outside of clinics where people are trying to seek access to healthcare and others are literally physically standing in the way. Um, you know, here in Ohio, I, I can't speak for the rest of the nation, but we begin to see this kind of activity increase dramatically 
around the two parts of the year that are, uh, you know, listed out as, uh, you know, the kind of right to life action, the 40 days for for uh, harassment that they do. And we're starting right now to prepare for the beginning of another one of those terms. You know, they, they begin on Ash Wednesday and continue for 40 days. Ash Wednesday this year is uh, the 17th of February. So we have clinics in the state that are training whole new, you know, armies, for lack of a better word, of clinic escorts because they know they know in capital, you know, care clinic up in Toledo that they are going to have Catholics praying the rosary, trying to stop cars from accessing private parking at a clinic because the people on the sidewalk want to make that space unsafe for the people who are trying to come in. They, they want to make anti-sanctuary in that space. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, constantly amazed at the number of folk who want sanctuary for themselves and who want to deny sanctuary to others, uh, particularly in spaces that should be sanctuary already. We should have we should have sanctuary space when a person decides to go see a medical professional. You should not feel unsafe seeking medical care, seeking health care in, in these United States, and certainly not as a result of, of people who claim faith as a motivator. Um, I, I'm, I'm just so interested in, in this moment of, so if, if I am, I, I'm Protestant, by the way, so, you know, a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of this process, I, I have to, you know, really kind of um, open myself to a different way of seeing institutions and, and hierarchies. Um, my thought is what can pro-choice Catholics do today, right now, to help support reproductive freedom in the Catholic Church? If I'm a pro-choice Catholic sitting at home and I'm hearing this, what can I do right now to get in the fight, to get in the struggle? If you are a pro-choice Catholic out, out there and you are listening to this, um, I mean, first and foremost, like, we are many and we are the majority, so do not fear. I like. I, I want to like say that again. We are many, and we are the majority. I hope that you please check out like Catholics for Choice, our website, uh, which is catholicsforchoice.org. We're also on Twitter uh, instead of F O R. It's the number four. But then the other thing that I want to share with people is. I hope for the people that feel called, that feel that they can do this in safety, I want people to share their stories. Tell us about what it's like to be a pro-choice Catholic. Because so often what I hear from people is that doesn't exist. And I hear that because the people who stand in the pulpit speak very little about what the people who sit in the pews think or believe or how we live our lives. They talk a lot and very subjectively, right? About when and how to sort of lean into conversations. But we are out there and, you know, like Catholics have abortions at the same rate as other people. So like the average number is one in four women and we say women in that like in that phrasing in particular because the data sets are just not yet sophisticated enough where we have been collecting trans data to adequately account for trans masculine folks or for gender non-conforming folks right because we know that many people receive abortion care not just simply women but i think tell your story about your own reproductive health care right are you a Catholic using condoms? Like, guess what? You're like 99% of Catholics are using a form of contraception banned by the Vatican. And that's the most basic, right? I think about, I think about how much of our story never gets told. Who gets to own it? And why isn't it us? Why do we feel shame when we sit in the majority? We know that the people around us are engaging in Catholicism 
in beautiful, deep, rich ways that are informed by their own conscience and by their decisions for themselves and about their bodies. And the only way that we change the narrative is by saying, you know what, like, we're not going to hide anymore, right? And this is really, this is a tactic that we saw, you know, queer people revolutionizing basically the entire world, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Just out here being like, we're really amazing. Thank you all for coming. We're going to tell our story right now because shit was really hard. And then once we're done, you can no longer turn away and say, oh, but that's something that happens to other people mm. or that's something mm. that doesn't happen in my family, right? And we saw this same energy in 2010 around the immigration movement. We saw we saw undocumented folks, right? Like coming out about their own status and talking about being undocumented, right? And all of a sudden, overnight, people had language. People knew somebody. People had family, community, right? And I think that that is what we are on the cusp of. Mm. We are on the cusp of the great Catholic revolution, right? Like, what does it look like when our story is told by us and for us and, like, with God, right? Because I think, like, people that are getting abortion care in this country, you know, and people people might want to vilify it and say whatever they want, but truth of the matter is people are showing up faith in hand to make decisions for themselves that they are that they struggle with, but that they know to be the right decisions for themselves. Amen. And I, and I want to respect that. I want to love that. Mm. I want to love up on that. I want to, I want to teach. That is the Catholic social justice teaching. I want to hear about. Amen. Amen. Okay. So Gabby, uh, I like, I'm so grateful to have you on. Um, I feel like you have like just the, it's just really great to talk to you and to hear your perspective. And, um, yeah. And one thing that you said, you were talking about like the heartbreak that um, you get or you hear when you tell people uh, what you do. And one of my things kind of like why I started off at Ohio RCRC about a year ago as an intern and <laughs> an intern um, and then just never left. And um, one of the reasons that I wanted to work here is because it makes me so upset to hear of the people who uh, have stepped away from their faith or who, like, are going through crises of faith um, because they don't believe that their morals align with um, a religious background. Like, um, I know people who, you know, they've grown up in really religious spaces and they're very queer and very pro-liberation in all its forms. And, and then they're like... <clears throat> what do I do? Like, how can I, I, it, it doesn't feel like it aligns. And so, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about, uh, your, your thoughts on that. Cause I know that for me, uh, I find myself <laughs> being very angry, uh, that, uh, people who prioritize oppressing others are controlling the institutional churches and pushing other people away. But I would love to hear, um, your perspective on that. Your, your thoughts on people who are pushed away from um, religious life or being in the church because of the kind of like that institutional power um, that, you know, continues to control and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. Talk about scarcity as a model for like, oppression <laughs> um you know because i think i think there is there's so much there's so much going on in the world there's so much we could be spending our time our energy our efforts right like when we think about like social good as this like overarching thing right there's so much we could be spending our time doing and um and, and we love to say that we are all created in God's image until we meet somebody that is deemed like they don't fit the mold. Um, and I, I think like it is such a, it is such a scarcity culture that feeds into this idea 
that people are somehow disposable because they do not fit like the the like a b or c like model of like what you're supposed to be you know and i tell people all the time like people are like how can you how can you justify all the things that the that the church has done and i was like you know the church is a lot of people i was like church is like 70 million people out in these streets and i was like now the catholic hierarchy of the u.s in particular like 300 some odd you know men um you know like that's a little bit more of a narrow playing field for me we can we can have a conversation about accountability right heavy is the head that wears the crown you want to lead cool then you then you have to assume that responsibility and i think that part of the most destructive part of scarcity culture is it tells us that that the thing that we know to be true in ourselves the thing that we know is like sacred about what connects us and tethers us to religion is actually like not for us and that's not true that's just like inherently not true it's like it's a lie that gets pimped out over and over and over again and like no one gets to have your faith just because it doesn't fit in a nice neat little box you know um everybody has a story you know Brene Brown says something that I think is super powerful she says you know everybody has a story that'll make you feel like you're on top of the mountain and everybody has a story that'll bring you to your knees and in that same aspect right like that alone should tell us the complexity of the breath of life like and so when our lived experiences don't match up you know side by side by side perfectly in this little formation it's because they're not meant to it's because every single expression of who we are is an expression that is both divine but informed by like who we are right i i bring so much of i think what i have learned about my own faith into almost every part of my life and it, it really wasn't even until I started working at Catholics for Choice that I talked about being a person of faith, that I even, like, acknowledged it. Because I think for a long time, I I felt this really intense hype about, well, if I tell people, then they'll think that I am somehow not supportive. And part of that, and I think, and I think here's what's up. If you are a person who feels called to like to hold space with people hold space for difficult conversations because those are sometimes the most transformative conversations when we show up as our full authentic selves we give the people around us permission to be exactly who they are yeah when you when you just said that that reminded me when i was um when i was in college and i was trying to decide whether to pursue seminary um I made the decision to like completely forgo my I was a language arts education uh major and I decided to change my major to literature so I could graduate in four years and go to seminary and I said I said to myself I need to make this decision like all or nothing or I will not make it at all and I won't tell people that like faith is like a big thing in my life because they will think that like I'm not I'm not down for social justice uh, or like even that I'm not a person who cusses and like if you cuss in front of me I'm gonna judge you which is just <laughs> so wrong so completely wrong and um, yeah girl when... let me tell you <laughs> I just want to sing in on this conversation because like as a queer pastor um. I, I I'm I'm totally gonna steal this from another podcast that I like, which is um, queer theology podcast, right? So they they were talking earlier this week about like coming out as queer and coming out as Christian, and how some people are like, oh, it's just as hard for me to come out as Christian to have all my liberal friends or by, and like how that that's just a false equivalence, but it's definitely a difficulty, and as a pastor. It is easier for me to be open with people initially about my views on abortion, 
same-sex marriage, um, you know, <laughs> the electoral college, pick an issue, right? So much easier than to start the faith conversation. Because the moment you start the faith conversation, you bring all the baggage that somebody else has into the room and you don't even know it, right? We don't even know what baggage folk have around the church because, you know, like Gabby, you said earlier, the church is a whole lot of people out in these streets, right? Like there are a whole lot of expressions. So what does that mean? It is like at least a two hour conversation when <laughs> I meet somebody and they're like, so, you know, like, what's your faith background? Oh my God. Like, we're going to have to talk for a long, long while because it's really complicated. And like the Brene Brown quote, right? I think everybody has that really complicated, fully fledged out, beautiful and tragic story about how they've come to find meaning in the world. And we just don't, we don't contextualize people and people's experiences that well in the society because we want something that's going to fit in 140 characters or like you know be able to get mashed into a facebook post that doesn't get truncated and you know get that out into the world and that's just not that's not at all big enough for the god that is expressed in all these faiths you know oh lord i'm feeling feeling a little pentecostal up in here today <laughs> got got back to my roots here good good conversation and um, as well, uh, this reminds me of I don't I don't mean to talk about Adrian Marie Brown every time I'm ever recorded or writing something, but I'm in yes, love you with do. her. But you yes, know what? You do. If we yes, you do. if we manifest them into like proximity, that's what I, bless it. You know, if I keep Zero saying apologies. their name, Zero <laughs> anyway. Um, but uh, I have read all of their books and. Um, the first book of the book club is going to be Emergent Strategy, as well as um, their new book, We Will Not Cancel Us, um, which came out last year. And um, uh, so good. There's a quote that I just like keep thinking about, like in the world that we live in, um, where it's hard to to want to be in community with people who are like harmful, um, or want to be able to extend uh, forgiveness to those people when they do come to a point of. Um, accepting accountability. It's very hard for me not to just like create a grudge and like hold it forever, but I've been connected to this quote and I think it's uh, relevant to this conversation. Um, so the the quote is it's talking about when they got into um, sci-fi and it says I and and how that like changed their view of the world. So I felt and feel miraculous. It's confusing to feel so miraculous when so many people hate my skin and my history. I see the miraculous in others. Even those who hate me have heartbeats, and I generally assume have people they love. Why can't they love me? Should I love them anyway? How can I hold these massive contradictions? And uh, just thinking about the the intersecting identities and the the messiness of <laughs> one's own identity. And then also have like learning to love all the bits of you, even though this is talking about other people. Um, I don't know. It's a whole conversation, and um, it's it's very difficult to hold those contradictions at the same time. Things that uh, we've been told for so long don't exist together, like being a person of faith and being queer, or being a person of faith and uh, you know being pro-abortion, or you know whatever like all of these things that we've been told do not exist together do exist together and so we have to we have to hold those contradictions and uh try to like build something new um yeah that's just something that that quote forever lives in my head rent free and um i think about it all the time so well and you know mm. something that that makes me think about is the you know, there are a lot of Catholic theologians who pay lip service to queer and trans people who talk about building a church in which we are affirmed in ourselves and in our lives. And 
you know, like every now and again, they'll like put together like a petition that doesn't really do anything and that like isn't really like strongly worded enough to like ruffle enough feathers to really say anything substantive. And I think to myself, like, actually, you know, if you only really knew that like queer people are so revolutionary that we have had to form like we have had to form family structures in many different ways, not just in the nuclear family setting. We have had to form chosen family bonds that are like blood for us because sometimes like, you know, LGBTQ youth experience a disproportionate amount of like homelessness. And that ranges everything from like being actively homeless to like, you know, some folks who couch surf for months or sometimes even years throughout the time in which they're in their adolescence. And, you know, I think to myself, what a disservice, because when I think about when I think about like what my Catholic like social justice heart says to me, which is also my like reproductive justice centered heart, which is also my like racial equity heart, right? Because like, which is also my like loud Puerto Rican on a soapbox. Um, <laughs> I, the thing that I sit with is like, don't you dare show up to this conversation and talk about affirming LGBT people when we know that many Catholic hospitals across this country deny people care based on their gender expression or their gender identity, that they like don't prescribe PEP or PrEP which is like pre-exposure prophylaxis or post-exposure prophylaxis, which is, uh, uh, which is like a once a day, but used to prevent the spread of HIV, um, uh, you know, like after or before transmission, that they don't provide emergency contraception, um, you know, when doing rape kits in some, in, in, in some institutions, and that those decisions are not made by medical professionals. They are made from direct like imperatives from the hierarchy that inform our healthcare. And then the flip side of that is, you know, and here's and here's where the rubber really meets the road for me, I think, is, you know, I think about what it would take for me to have a family in this world. Right? So I could certainly hire someone to be the vessel and carry my own children. And at the same time, I think to myself, there are so many people in the system who just want somebody to love them. And like showing up in those moments and also realizing that like many of the adoption agencies that are private adoption agencies are religiously affiliated in a lot of circumstances and like have gone to bat at the state local, federal level, you name it, right? Around expanding religious refusal laws to exclude LGBTQ people, right? My ability to, to live in this world, to build a family looks really different because of the way that people preach from that pulpit. My ability to raise a family and to have a children and build community is hindered by our church's opposition to not only who we are, but to our ability to like live and exist and reproduce and like also just like execute decisions about growing our families that like we don't get to make because they have stolen that from us. And so like, you know, every time someone has a hot take about like how being queer is like the next like great revolution in the Catholic church, I think to myself, that like the queer revolution of the Catholic Church will not and cannot happen without reproductive liberation. Mm -hmm. Without the acknowledgement of, you know, women and non-binary folks in our like leadership structures, in our movement with dignity, and not only with dignity, but with the equitable footing to be able to take leadership 
Because it's not enough just to stand in the background and be a fixture on a wall. So you know what I mean. So I I didn't know we were gonna get here, but since we're here, I'm I'm gonna. <laughs> so because because I you know as a as a pastor, well I, I I love I love where you're where you're at where you're going. Um, as a pastor, I have ecumenical relationships in my community and beyond. Um, you know, having served in multiple capacities on a statewide basis, um, I, I have quite a few, <laughs> to use the, the uh, uh, kind of a turn of phrase, I have Catholic friends, right? Um, <laughs> so when I knew that we were going to be having this conversation today, here a few days ago, I asked a few of my, my Catholic clergy friends, um, you know, what What do you know about Catholics for Choice? And, you know, what do you think about their work? And and it was fascinating to me the number, uh, you know, all but one, um, who said, oh, I think they do fantastic work. But please don't ever quote me on that. Don't, don't say I said that. And it was fascinating because there is this sense that y'all are doing this great work that even the clergy can acknowledge privately, but publicly, that's a no-go. So I, I asked one of my colleagues who I know I know very well, because, you know, we were slightly overlapping in seminary days, and, you know, uh, back in those days, we, we were allowed to take language classes down at the Josephinum and, and other things. So, you know, I've I've uh, taken coursework at uh, the Pontifical College Josephinum in, in uh, Worthington. And, you know, I asked my colleague, I said, so, you know, you, you say that they do great work, but you can't say publicly. What is the main issue behind publicly supporting some of these some of these transformations? And his answer was curious for me. I mean, it, it was so fascinating. And I'm, I'm interested to hear, Gabby, your reflection on it. He said, well, you've got to understand that the moment we admit that reproductive freedom is something everybody should have, that gets us all tangled up into the gender question, which will really mess us up because we have kept the ordination path in the church void of women for so long. And I said, well, what, what, what is all that gobbledygook? Like, what, you know, just tell me what the problem is. And he said, if we acknowledge that people have the freedom to govern their own bodies, we're going to have to acknowledge that there is not a clear definition of how God designs one body over and above and separate from another. Basically, his argument was the real problem here is the intersectionality between repro and gender identity and that the church has just had this settled position on gender identity and does not want to negotiate that. What are your thoughts on that? Because that just blew my mind, right? That that you would have an institution so afraid of one brick in the wall getting disturbed that it would literally build a hundred miles onto the other end of the wall to keep that from getting touched. What what, what are your thoughts there? <clears throat> You know, I one of my favorite analogies is, you know, the sort of glass ceiling. I and 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 I say that to say because like because broken glass shatters, you know, and just like that, things change. And I think, um, I think that the real the real like root of what we see here is like patriarchy, right? Mm. We see an unwillingness of men to relinquish any type of power to like, to acknowledge women in the same way that they would men. And we see like the complete, like the complete use of like reproductive oppression as a clear tactic to both, drive people towards that continued thought process and to distract them from the fact that they are not acting equitable 
you know, that they are not actually practicing in alignment. You know, it's funny. I was, I was sitting the other day and I have maybe listened to it several, what feels like several hundred times, but maybe it's only been like 20 or 30. Um, Elena's, um, Elena, who is the executive director of Ohio RCRC, I have been re-listening to um, her segment from the people's hearing. Um, her where her she sermon, talks, her preaching. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, yes. my God. <laughs> like, you know, the moment she started talking, the hair on my arm stood up and, like, on the back of mm. my neck, and I was like, we're here. Mm. Take me. <laughs> Take me all the way to church. <laughs> um, which, you know, I'm... I'm a Puerto Rican Catholic, so it is like a loud variation of a Catholic. You know, I think people think like, oh, we like show up in suits and we don't get really rowdy. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, just breaking all the molds. But one of the things that Elena talked about in that sermon was really about Mary struggling thinking, consenting to be the vessel and what that means, right? And I think it was such a powerful inflection for me about how, like, you know, and it's kind of like they say about abortion, right? Like, just because you, like, make it inaccessible, just because you make it hard, it doesn't mean they stop happening. Somebody who has made a decision for themselves and about their bodies will always find a way to achieve the autonomy they crave. Because it's not just a craving, it's a need. We know what we need. And I think for so long, the church has rested on this idea of separate but equal. And, you know, we know from history and from civil rights that separate but equal ain't too equal and is really just separate, mm. Um, mm. you know, and you cannot, and, and I think maybe, you know, some of the greatest harm is like, how dare we, like, how dare people stand in a pulpit and talk to a whole generation of young people coming up in the world and say, you know what? You can be, you are in the image of God. You can be so much more than what you are right now. You will struggle, but you will pick yourself up and you will go and go and go. And what a disservice to tarnish the roots from which those seeds grow. You know, from the very beginning, it's like, if we could only, if we could only sit with each other and really acknowledge, I think, and, and, and when I say we, I, I think if the hierarchy could sit with itself and really understand the disservice that it does itself, mm. you know, mm. because, because like there is so much leadership, there is so much strength, you know, in the women in our communities in the non-binary folks who show up, who hold space in church with us, you know, and those people deserve to be seen and they deserve to like hold all the leadership that they want. Like, we must be a leader. We must be a leaderful movement. If not, we are not a movement. And like what we know about the Catholic Church is that people are leaving the church at disproportionate rates, right? And when we talk to people on the ground, when we poll people, when we like engage in any type of public opinion, people basically got the same four or five answers. It, it's it's pretty basic. They're like, you know. I come for the service, I come for the ritual, I come for the tradition, I come to spend I, I come to spend time in community. I leave because of the like the dogma, right? This idea that like I mean, I think I think all roads lead to heaven, right? I think like if we're all creating God's image, I think all roads lead to heaven. I think like, you know, we, we struggle through this journey because we are imperfect. And so we show up to that conversation and we have to like, and we have to also understand that that imperfection of our, like, of our being, of our existence, also, it just doesn't apply to the lay people. It just doesn't apply to the people sitting in the pews. 
it applies to the hierarchy. It applies to the Pope. Like, nobody is infallible. We are all sitting, struggling, dealing. Like, everybody, you know, everybody has their own cross to bear. And if we are unwilling to unpack that, then we are unwilling to do the work with others that I believe to be, like, God's real work. Mm. Mm. Amen. Well, Amen. I I feel like we could talk for several days. more hours. Days. days. Yeah. 40 uh, days, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's been... We didn't say all that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's been great just talking to you and um, hearing your perspective and all of that. I just, I feel very blessed today. So thank you so much for um, being on with us and uh, giving your perspective and just blessing us like i said so uh thank thank y'all for having me i really appreciate it great so uh we will be back in two weeks with a new podcast episode and we will talk then okay goodbye Remember, you can always check out previous editions of Our Soul on our website at ohiorcrc.org forward slash podcast. And while you're there, feel free to look around at all the other super cool content we have to offer to help you faithfully speak out for abortion access and reproductive freedom all across Ohio.